If you have a Bible tonight, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 60. And Lord willing, we're going to cover a couple of questions here that I think are so cool for us to be able to cover. These chapters um, filled with um, just so much beautiful, I was telling Shelley, just uh, beautiful, beautiful chapters we have in the Bible. Um, I don't know, if I were to ask you guys this question, I wonder what you would say. Like, what is, if you could kind of look back on your life, what's the happiest you've ever been? What, what event took place in your life that you can look back and say, man, that was like the happiest thing that ever happened to me? You know, maybe as a child, it was when you were having fun without a care in the world. And you can kind of look back and, and say, man, that was, uh, that was joy. Or, or maybe as a Christian, it was the day that you were delivered, the season you were saved. Uh, or, or maybe it was when you saw someone else get saved. And you can look back and say, wow, that was such an awesome event. I know there are deep experiences that we've had in life that make us rejoice. And, you know, a lot of different things. It might be a relation. It might be a, a physical uh, healing that you experienced. Um, but when you look at our, our life, I was even thinking about how some people, they get so happy when the, like the Dodgers win the, the World Series back in 2020 or when the Lakers won the championship. Um, a lot of things that we go through, you know, we can say, well, that really brought joy to my life. We've all experienced, I think, happiness to some degree in certain ways. But but if I could ask you guys this question, you know, you're you're like looking back, that was like the happiest moment of my life. One of the things that I would like to implant in your heart tonight is that we need to know that when we get to heaven, those happy moments that you've had are just a small glimpse of what heaven will be like forever and ever and ever. And I don't know if you can identify whatever it was that made you happy, but just take that, isolate it, and then amplify it by infinity. And the reason that I think that's important for us to understand is because we go through so much heartache on planet earth and so you know you have to understand as you're going through those valleys that you know this is not it um i have to hold tight to the fact that there is this joy that god has in front of me and i will i will say this it's not just when you die I think it's important for us to say that. As a matter of fact, one of the things that's really interesting about the book of Isaiah is that he talks a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot about the millennial kingdom. And as I was thinking about that, I'm like, Lord, why doesn't he just talk about heaven? Because, you know, heaven is a place where, you know, where that's not going to be our home forever. Why does he talk so much about the millennial kingdom? And I really sense that the Lord say to me, the reason is, is because, um, I want my people to know that their joy for the future is not just in heaven, that I still have joy for you on planet Earth. And so we need to know that because as we go through hard times and we're in the valley in the darkness and we're fighting demons, a lot of times people will then depart from the faith. Or like Shelley said, they might find themselves in a place where they have a divided heart, and the thing that God wanted to do in their life, they won't experience because they didn't lift their eyes to the Lord. And so um, today I pray that we would look deeper. I pray that our eyes would be wider and we look to the future, knowing that it's a good future that God has for us. Now, a lot of what we're studying here in the book of Isaiah, you got to kind of take it in context. Isaiah is writing to a nation, nation of Israel, that would be taken away into captivity. They would be slaves in Babylon for 70 years. And he wrote this in advance so that when they're there, they would know that we're not going to end up there forever, that God has a future for us. And so there is that aspect of Babylon. There's also the aspect of in the future. You guys know what's coming, right? The Lord is going to come. He's going to rapture the church. And there will be a great tribulation on planet Earth. 
and God is going to actually deal with Israel again. And halfway through the tribulation period, he's going to begin to move among the Jews so that God's going to use them. God's going to save them. God's going to bring them to Jesus. And they need to know this. And so we'll see as we go through here in Isaiah 60, beginning in verse 1. Notice what he says. He says, rise and shine. Arise and shine. It's a wake-up call. For your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness, check this out, the darkness shall cover the earth. And it's not just darkness and deep darkness, the people. But the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. You know, when the Lord judges this earth, man, let me tell you something. All, literally, all hell breaks loose. It's going to be crazy. And Shelley alluded to the fact that you've got Putin going over to Iran. And what's he doing in Iran? He's actually trying to muster up a peace deal between Iran and Turkey. He's also, there's a military alliance between Iran and Russia. And so it, it just seems you got... Turkey, you've got Iran, you've got Russia. It just seems to me that that's Ezekiel 38 because that's what we read in Ezekiel 38. Those are the countries that are listed, that there would be an alliance and that they would invade Israel. And when that happens, we either prior to that, right around the same time, we get raptured out. And so just like the Bible said the first time Jesus would come and he came, the Bible predicts twice as much that Jesus will come again, and he will. And so we see the signs of the times. And when that happens, it's going to be a seven-year tribulation. We're going to see, like it says right here, a darkness will cover the earth, deep darkness, the people. I mean, let me tell you something. I mean, two-thirds of Israel is going to get wiped out. It's going to be amazing. But he says the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be, sh- be seen upon you and and what that means is that god is going to begin to deal with israel god's going to begin to shine through israel they're going to get saved right now uh, there a lot of them are atheists right now hardly any of them believe in jesus some people believe that god's given up on israel but he hasn't and when you study history you study ezekiel 36 and 37 you see that they return to the land that's a prophecy those things have come true. They've been blessed. They've been fruitful. And so now God is going to bring them ultimately to salvation to the point that they, it says right here, the Gentiles in verse three, the Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. And so look at verse four. He says, lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They, they come to you. Your, your sons shall come from afar and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. Then you shall see and become radiant and your heart shall swell with joy because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall, shall come to you. The, the multitude of camels shall cover your land, the dromedaries, those are also camels, of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come, they shall bring gold and incense, and they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you, the the rams of Nebaioth shall minister to you, they shall ascend with acceptance on my altar and I will glorify the house of my glory. And then the Lord just says to Israel, you know, this is your future. I want you to know this, that I'm going to exalt you among the nations. And during the tribulation period, you know, God is going to deal with the Jews. They're going to get saved and they're going to evangelize. And then after the tribulation period, God is going to set up his kingdom for a thousand years. We call it the millennial kingdom. And Jesus will reign in Jerusalem. Ezekiel tells us that the temple will be rebuilt. And so people are going to come from all over the world. And they're going to come to Israel. And they're going to bring their donations. 
and they're going to worship the Lord. You know, and, and when you read this, it's such a beautiful thing to see how the Jews would be saved and the Gentiles would be saved. It even says there in verse 7 that the Gentiles, um, they shall ascend with acceptance on my altar. You know, when you look at the scriptures, it's interesting. Acts chapter 10, verse 35, it says, But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. And so you look at the world today, 40% of the world has never even heard of the name of Jesus. You look at the world today and it's crazy what's going on and whatever, you know, you might be out there thinking, man, there's no hope. But God is going to do a work and God will save the nations. And for us, uh, we'll be there during the millennial kingdom. For those of us that are Christians, we're going to get raptured. We'll be ruling and reigning with him. But those who survive the millennial, um, those who survive the tribulation period will enter in and there's going to be this amazing time for a thousand years. And just if you can visualize just everyone going up and Israel's exalted. Why? Because their king is exalted. Notice what it says there in verse 8. It says, who, who are these who fly like a cloud and like doves to their, to their roosts? That's a place where birds settle. You can visualize people just running. They're, they're flying. It says, surely the coastlands shall wait for me and the ships of Tarshish will come first to bring your sons from afar, their silver and their gold with them to the name of the Lord your God and to the Holy One of Israel because he has glorified you. The sons of foreigners shall, shall build up your walls and the king shall minister to you. For in my wrath, God says, I struck you, but in my favor or in my grace, I have had mercy on you. I mean, it's just so cool when you think of what's going to happen. And again, um, just, you know, I don't know if Israel has a special place in your heart. But I've noticed this, you guys, that when God does a work in a Christian, there's something about Israel. There's something about Jerusalem. You know, you want to go there on a pilgrimage. I remember when I went to Israel and we were going on the bus and we were going up the hill. And I remember the, the, the guy who was doing the tour, he said, okay, get ready. We're, we're just about to see the city. And then when we went over the hill and I saw Jerusalem, I just began to weep. There's something special about this place that God has uh, exalted. And we're going to see, especially during that millennial kingdom, you know, and, and that's why it's important for us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I mean, if you can, it would be cool to maybe make a pilgrimage one day there. And then when you go to Israel, it's kind of like your, you know, Bible comes to life. But, you know, during the millennial kingdom, we see here God just brings his people from uh, all ends of the earth and all the other nations. And it's interesting, he even mentions, you know, Muslim nations. I mean, all people will realize who the king is and God will do a great work. Here we see that in God's wrath, he struck Israel. We see that there in verse 10, but in his favor, he had mercy on them. I don't know if you guys have ever like been able to identify or, or say, you know what, this was a, a something that I went through in my life that was very difficult. And it was because of the fact that I had, you know, forsaken God. I had sinned and God dealt with me. And let me tell you something. If you're a child of God and you go astray, God will discipline you. The Bible says, do not deceive. God is not mocked that whatever a man sows that he shall also reap. And so if God is your father, then of course he's going to discipline you. And so prayerfully, there's a healthy fear of God in our life. You know, you come to church, but are you really serving the Lord? You know, are you uh, in sexual sin? Uh, you think God can bless you? If you're in sexual sin, no. He's going to have to discipline you if you don't repent. You know, you're going to create a chasm between you and God. You know, a lot of times, uh, I mean, to me, it doesn't make any sense 
why a Christian would not be on fire for God. I don't understand that. You know, we can make excuses, but really there's no excuse. I mean, he died for you. He loves you. He was nailed to a cross for you. Yeah, we go through difficult times, but I mean, we should give God all of our heart. You know, when we live a life of discipline or for Israel, their their thing was they got so caught up in the world and they started doing the things that the Canaanites were doing and they had all these idols. If you put anything before God, then you're guilty of idolatry. And so God had to and God warned them and God warned them just like God warns us. And God says, hey, when are you going to start like reading your Bible again? When are you going to start fellowshipping again? When are you going to start praying again? When are you going to start serving me again? And he's trying to deal with us, and we don't listen. That's what happened with Israel. And then Judah, they followed suit as well. And so in 722 BC, the Assyrians came, and they took Israel away to captivity. And then in 586 BC, the Babylonians came, and they took Judah away. Because God loves us, God will discipline us because God wants us to understand the plan that he has for our life. And so that's what happened right here. He says, in my wrath, I, I struck you, but in my favor, I have had mercy on you. Because when you're there and God is your father, man, the, the, the hope is that you lift up your eyes and you just tell God, I'm sorry, I, I've blown it, forgive me, help me get right on track. And man, right there and then, God will meet you. God will forgive you. Even tonight, if you're here tonight and you've been living in sin, I promise you, I promise you that if you just come clean, you come to God, he will forgive you. And you ask him, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit because I can't do this on my own. And if you cry that prayer from your heart, then God will meet you here. God will forgive you, and God will give you a new start. I've told you guys a million times that this Christian life is, is simply a series of new beginnings. And so here's, here's Israel again uh, with a, a new beginning. You know, these, these coastlands, we've talked about this a lot in the book of Isaiah. It mentions them in chapter 9. That's the, 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 the most lands. That's really from coast to coast. That's all lands. They will eventually be eager to come to Christ. And when they're there in the millennial kingdom, and I just can't wait to be there in Jerusalem, notice what it says in verse 11. Therefore, your gates shall be open continually. They shall not be shut day or night, that men may bring to you the wealth of the Gentiles and their kings in procession. For the nation and kingdom which will not serve you shall perish, and those nations shall be utterly ruined. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the pine, and the box tree together to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. And I will say this, that Isaiah chapter 60, all the way through 66, uh, teachers, uh, commentators, they identify this as just a time where God is just expressing his glory, right? Israel will be exalted. Uh, the king of kings will finally rule. His name is Jesus. And the temple will be rebuilt. And it talks about them bringing their, you know, their materials. And even you know, the glory of Lebanon, which would be the wood, the trees, those things are all brought to make this temple. And it's going to be a beautiful sanctuary uh, where God uh, will meet us. And you read that in Ezekiel chapter 40 and verse 4. Uh, you were... Ezekiel 40 and forward. And it's not just God's house um, where, you know, the temple is. We see this is also a time where there's justice. In one sense, it's got like God's courthouse. Look at verse 14. It says, Also the sons of those who afflicted you shall come bowing to you, and those who despised you shall fall prostrate at the soles of your feet. And they shall call you the city of the Lord, Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Now, 
you know, when you think of the, the, the tribulation period and then, you know, that, you know, you have the millennial kingdom, one of the things that you, you'll find is that God, um, he's going to bring justice. You know, clearly this is in reference to the Jews who would be in Jerusalem. And uh, what we find also is it's a kind of a shadow of what would happen even for the church one day. I don't know if you've ever experienced someone, um, like I guess you could say, persecuting you, you know, maybe harming your family because you're a Christian. Um, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but every year, um, 90,000 Christians are killed. And so in the last decade, there have been 900,000 Christians that have been martyred. So think about that for a second. You know, that's uh, you, or, or that's your dad, or that's your husband, or that's your wife, or that's your child. And so they're getting slaughtered all around the world. And, and you know, some will say, well, where's God? You know, why is God allowing all this to happen? And they think that, you know, he'll never get justice. We'll never get justice. But part of what we're reading is is because God is saying, oh, yes, yes, you will. And as a matter of fact, those people who do those things, you're going to see them bow down. You're going to see them bow down to God right in front of you. The Jews would see it. And even the church, we read that in Revelation chapter 3, verse 9. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. And we'll talk more about this uh, justice aspect as we go through our chapter tonight. But basically what we see is God is just about to change everything. Now, I don't know, you guys, we don't know for sure the, the day or the hour. I mean, it might be a hundred years, it might be a thousand years, but it might be tonight. I don't know, but it, it sure seems soon. And as he's about to change everything, because we look at the world and they can't fix it, things are only getting worse. We see that God, he's the only answer. Look what it says there in verse 15. It says, whereas you have been forsaken and hated so that no one went through you, I will make you an eternal excellence, a joy of many generations. You shall drink the milk of the Gentiles and milk the breast of kings. You shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. And you guys know, right, the history of uh, anti-Semitism, how the world has hated the Jews. Why do they hate the Jews? Because the devil uh, knows that they're assigned to the world. And he's thinking, if I can fight God's so-called sign or plan, then, you know, I've got an upper hand. But we've seen it to the point where millions of Jews have been slaughtered Throughout the ages, right there in verse 15, you've been forsaken and hated, right? But like I said earlier, it's not just the Jews, it's Christians as well. I mentioned to you earlier that in the last decade, 900,000 Christians have been martyred for their faith. But I think it's also helpful for us to know that 70 million Christians, since Jesus came, established the church, 70 million Christians have been martyred for their faith. You know, we are hated. And I think that as time progresses, you know, we see it like in our nation when we first started off, you know, we were, uh, you know, and maybe in one sense, you know, we were favored, we were blessed, God used the church. But now uh, we see that more and more who we are, what we stand for is more and more hated by the world. Uh, my daughter Ariel was telling me about a musician. I don't know her. Her name is Pink. And she publicly said that she didn't want pro-lifers to listen to her music. Because you're a pro-lifer. I, I don't want your money. I don't want you to listen to my music, right? And she said this. Let's be clear. If you believe the government belongs in a woman's uterus, then please, in the name of your Lord, she said, and she used other expletives, Never listen to my music 
again. And so, you know, we, when we talk to people about this whole conversation, you know, we use more understanding than this. But basically what she's doing, what the world is doing, is they're saying, you guys are, 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 are against love. You guys are against freedom. You guys are against, and then and this on and on and on. And what you're finding more and more is that we are hated. And yet when I think of this, you know, this lady, her name is Pink, you know, if I were to talk to her, I would just love her. I would listen to her. I would say, okay, I understand, you know, you have your perspective and God made us. We all have our opinions. But but for us, we love. And for them, you know, they hate. And it's getting worse. It's getting worse. But one day the hatred will be overturned. And, and I know the thing about it, you guys, they don't hate us. They hate the Lord. That's who they hate. It's going to be a turn of events a complete turn of events and this salvation of the nation will then bring all people to the realization that God is God, not the government, not you, but Jesus is Lord. Um, Look what it says here in in verse 17. Talk about an upgrade uh, for Israel. It says there in verse 17, instead of bronze, I will bring gold. Instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze and instead of stones iron i will also make your officers peace and your magistrates righteousness violence shall no longer be heard in your land neither wasting nor destruction within your borders but you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise i mean you know, imagine for a minute, you guys, if everything you have made of brass or bronze turned to gold. How many of you might be rich now, huh? If your iron, whatever, if your iron turned to silver or wood to bronze, all these things right here, basically what God is saying is that I know it looks dark right now. I know the demons are on, are on, the, are on the prowl. And I know a lot of people are suicidal. And I know there's a lot of drugs. There's a lot of darkness. There's a lot. You know, you look at our, our government and more and more we're realizing they can't help us. But God is saying, but I want you to know as you're there in, in Babylon, as you're there, I want you to know that I'm coming. And one day this world will be ruled by Jesus Christ. You know, there is this upgrade, you know, and he's talking about this right here. And it's just so beautiful. He says, your future is bright. It's a blessing beyond your wildest imagination. Uh, chapter 16 there in verse 17, the NIV says, I will make peace your governor and well-being your ruler. You know, Jesus will be ruling. And it's interesting how we will be ruling with him. And so if you can, uh, try to capture the day, you guys. Try to imagine the day where peace and righteousness will be everything you see on the streets. No more violence. No more of these shootings. No more murders. No more death. No more destruction. Pure and permanent peace. And what it does is it leads us to that place of praise. You know, it's something that we're going to see. It's different in the people. It's even different in one sense in nature. Because look at verse 19. It says, The sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you at night. But the Lord will be to you an everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no longer go down, nor shall your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light and the days of your mourning shall be ended. Also, your people shall be righteous. They shall inherit the land forever. The branch of my planting and the work of my hands that I may be glorified. Wow, look at what God has done. A little one shall become a thousand and a small one 
a strong nation. This is during the millennial kingdom. I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. And what you find is that the thousand-year reign will transition into eventually our home in heaven. And, and God here, you guys, he's just trying to tell us about the future. Now, I don't know where you guys are. I don't know if you worry about things. What's going to happen to my kids? You know, what's going to happen to me? Uh, what's going to happen to the United States of America? You know, we have all these concerns as we're looking ahead. And God, as he's writing, you know, to the Jews and he's writing to us, you know, he's just trying to tell us, listen, um, your, your future, whether it be in the millennial kingdom on earth or your home in heaven, your future as Christians is good. And even through the, the difficult times, Romans 8, 28, it says how God works all things together for good. You know, imagine that where there's no more sun necessary because the glory of God it fills every dark nook and cranny. Now, I think that's speaking literal. I think it's speaking physical, but I also think it's speaking spiritual. You know, the Bible says that in Revelation twenty-one twenty-three that the city of Jerusalem had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And we see the same thing in Revelation chapter 22, verse 5. So let me ask you guys a question. Do you ever get down? Do you ever get depressed? Do you ever feel oppressed? Do you ever feel funky? You know, not not dancing funky, but you know, like in a in a in a bad funky, you know. And you're like, man, I just can't shake it. I just can't shake it, you know. And we have our our, our highs, but sometimes it seems like the highs are like less and less, and I'm pretty much more in the lows. And I just I just feel like in one sense it's like dark my life is like that but have you ever experienced the presence of god you know where he comes in and he lifts you up and and you just know it's him that's what he's saying right here that eventually the time will come where the glory of god will fill every nook and cranny of your life and there will be no more downers there will be no more darkness that this light man will be there forever and we have to lay hold of that you want to know why because if you don't have a good grip on that you, you might get swept away we have to have a good grip on that because what that does is it helps us for today and we might not be feeling it but i tell you what ain't nothing going to stop me from walking it i don't care what my body says i don't care what my emotions say I walk by faith, not feelings. And I know God is for me. And if God is for me, who can be against me? I know what God has for me in the future. And so you sit there and you doubt the goodness of God in your life. How can God bless that? Don't you know when you read the Bible and the Lord sees, oh, wow, you have faith in me. Don't you realize how that blesses Jesus? We see it. Oh, you woman of faith. Oh, great is your faith. Oh, man, you're going to get what you believed in. My prayer is that if you're here and you're doubting God, that you would actually see the evil of that. The evil of that. You know, get your eyes on the Lord and just say, Lord, I know you got something good for me. I know that there's a future, even though right now I feel like I'm in, you know, Babylon. God, I know you have something for me. You know what that's called? That, 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 that thought or that mindset that the future is good. You guys know what it's called? It's called hope. It's called hope. You know, we can't live without hope, we, you know, really. Have you guys ever heard of the rule of threes? I don't know if this is true or not, but the rule of threes says you can't live three weeks without food. Uh, you can't live uh, three days without water. 
and you can't live three minutes without oxygen. Now, of course, there are exceptions, and there are people who can go a little longer, but generally speaking, that's kind of how it works. But I'm here to tell you that you're not going to live. You will not live abundantly if you live a second without hope. I, I pray that you would speak it. And I'm not, a, I'm not a name it and claim it guy. I'm not one of those blab it and grab it guys. But I pray that you would speak it. You go home tonight and you say it out loud. You say it, God, I know you have good plans for me. God, I believe in you. I believe in you. And I know that there is a future and a hope. That's the whole backdrop to Jeremiah 29, that, that famous verse, and we got plaques everywhere, right? Where God says, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, thoughts of good and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Tell you what, you tell God, just tell God that you believe that. And if you don't believe that, then you don't believe in God. We should all have that, Lord, I know my future is good because my future is in your hands. Otherwise, why are we here? Well, we have to have that in our heart. And when the enemy comes in and the flesh and everything tries to take you down, don't let it. Hopelessness is not just a seed of defeat. Hopelessness is guaranteed defeat. One guy said, when you, are, uh, when you say a situation or a person is hopeless, you are slamming the door in the face of God. Can I ask you guys a question? Have you ever slammed the door in someone's face before? How many of you guys have done that? I'm just curious. Have you guys ever done that? Okay, so let me ask you another question. Would you, if God came to your door, would you slam the door in God's face? Anybody here do that? I hope not. When you say, my future has no hope, you are slamming the door in God's face. It's been said, life without Christ is an endless hope. But without, I'm sorry, life with Christ is an endless hope, but without Christ is a hopeless end. Hope is the fix. It's the physician. It's the healing. It's the balm for every misery. No, the hope of God's plans here and the paradise there are anchors for every single soul. You know, I was thinking about how our world, um, uh, you guys have to see the trend. Do you see the trend of how the enemy's taking hope out of people's lives? And ultimately, what happens when a person loses all hope? What happens to them? What do they do? They, they try to take their life. They'll take their life. It's called suicide. And do you guys see the trend of that nowadays? I'm sure you do, right? Um, recently, they just started a new number. I guess, you, I think you can actually text it or call it 988. Have you guys heard of that? And not so like if you're going through mental issues or maybe you're there and you want to take your life, you just call 988. You know, before it was 911, an emergency, now it's so bad, it's the spirit of the age. These are the demons unleashed. It's so bad that you, they have a number, 988. There's a need for that. And, and, and so I don't know if you guys think that's a good thing or not. I mean, I kind of think, you know, of course, God could probably use it as a suicide and crisis uh, lifeline. I think our government has spent uh, close to $400 million in beefing up the crisis centers, so that if you call that number, there'll be someone there and they'll answer and hopefully they will help you. Uh, I'm not sure how you guys feel about this. I believe it can be good because I have actually talked to a lot of people that have struggled with things like this. But even though it can be good, it's not God. And God will always be there if you call him. But you have to do it out of sincerity. You have to do it from the, the bottom of your heart. They're so proud of the fact that if you 
dial this number, that there will always be someone there to answer, that you're not going to get a busy signal, that you're not going to put you on hold, that they will always be there for you. And I was like, wow, Lord, that's you. Sometimes God will use people. If you find yourself in a challenging, difficult situation where you feel like you have no hope or you know, you're just so down, yeah, I, I want to encourage you, call out to God. And, and if you're still feeling down, please talk to a Christian. Talk to somebody. And they can, together, hopefully, they can help you through that situation. You know, when you look at this, it's kind of interesting how Isaiah 61, it's a great transition. Look what it says in verse 1. It begins with the beautiful words that Jesus spoke when he shared at the synagogue in Luke chapter 4. Notice what it says. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And we'll pause there because when Jesus read that, he stopped at that point. And so um, when you look at this, it's such a beautiful passage. Jesus says, when you, you, know, you read Luke 4, he found the scroll, he opens it up, he reads it, and then he sits down. And then you know what he does? He says to them, today this is fulfilled in your presence. In other words, what Jesus said is this prophecy in Isaiah 61 is in reference to me. And do you guys know what the word Christ means? Does anybody know? You guys, I know you know, but you're afraid to say, huh? Messiah? You guys know what that means? Okay, my bad. It means anointed one. Anointed one. And you're like, well, why was Jesus anointed? I mean, if you didn't know, that's what Christ means. Christ is Christos. That's from Greek. Messiah, Messiah, that's Hebrew. He's the anointed one. Anointed what for? What was he anointed for? So that he can preach like with, you know, jazz and style and that why? No, he was anointed so that when he came and shared the gospel, people would get saved. He was anointed so that when people had a broken heart, they would be healed. And that's why if your heart is not healed, then you got to come to Jesus. You're like, well, I'm already a Christian. Well, a lot of times Christians don't really go to, as close to him as they should. I mean, to me, this is one of the most beautiful sections of Scripture in the whole Bible, how God has anointed us, anointed him to to preach the gospel to the poor. That's those of us, you guys are like me, right? We, we sin. We have no righteousness of our own. We keep, we're, we blow it. We're bankrupt. We're poor. But he preaches the gospel to us and he says, no, Manny, you're rich. You're rich because you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it so beautiful to see, you know, how he's come to proclaim liberty, you know, to those who are captives. How many of you here have been set free by Jesus? I mean, so many of us here, right? To open the, the prison to those who were bound by not just, you know, the drugs and the alcohol and the works of the flesh and the influences of the world, but the chains of the devil. He, he's anointed to set us free from that bondage, from that prison. And then it says right here to... You know, to heal the, the brokenhearted. And I've told you guys this before. If you give Jesus all the pieces of your heart, all those broken pieces, he will heal them. And you, you will be a light. You will be bright. You will be powerful. You will. God will do such a beautiful work in your life. You know, here we see that Jesus is anointed, and that's the first coming man to offer that salvation. But notice what it says in the, in the next, in verse 2. But, but he's also going to come, and he shares, and he's going to bring 
the day of vengeance of our God. And that's what I was telling you guys earlier, how um, God will bring judgment. For us, be careful, because when someone wrongs you, you might want to get vengeance. But the Bible says, no, let the Lord do it. Uh, vengeance is the Lord's. Romans twelve nineteen says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Real quick, I don't know if you guys heard that heartbreaking story earlier this week about uh, two individuals, Wanda Palmer and her brother Daniel Palmer. And I guess apparently what happened was this guy, he, um, I don't know, I think it was a hatchet. Even the picture is kind of weird. And he, 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 he tried to kill his sister. He, he thought she was dead. Apparently she didn't die. She went into a coma. And for two years, he probably thought, well, she'll never wake up. I'm good. The, the police thought that maybe he did it, but they didn't have enough evidence. But after two years, she woke up from the coma and she said, my brother is the one who did this to me. And so immediately they arrested him. Any of you guys see that story? I'm just curious. Do you remember when they were dragging that guy in? That He fought it. He did not want to go to jail. I mean, he was like, it was weird. And that's the way it's going to be one day. People thinking they're going to get away with their sin, the things they're doing. They, might, they can fight it everything, with everything they got, but they won't be able to because there is a day of vengeance. There is a day of justice. And so this is what, what, what Jesus does. In verse 2, this should actually, the, the writing of all wrongs, should actually, it says there in verse 2, comfort all who mourn. And console those who mourn in Zion to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for, for mourning. I was telling my son, there's so much death going on in this world. I feel like that word mourning is like the word mourning where it's like every morning you hear about these tragedies. I mean, that, this is the, the world that we live in, but one day God's going to change it all up and there'll be joy. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, and that was something I circled in my Bible, the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planning of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And, and they shall rebuild the old ruins. Again, we're talking about Israel. They shall raise up the former desolations they shall repair the ruined cities the desolations of many generations uh, strangers shall stand and feed your flocks and the sons of the foreigner shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers but you god says shall be named the priests of the lord how many of you here are aware of the fact that when we're there in heaven that we will be kings and we will be priests did you guys know that you guys know that? Some of you know that? That's what we read right here as well. You shall be named the priest of the Lord. They shall call you the servants of our God, and you shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, you shall have double honor, and instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double. Everlasting joy shall be theirs, for I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery for burnt offering. And I will direct their work in truth and will make with them an everlasting covenant. And when you get a chance, I encourage you to read Jeremiah 31. 31 all the way through, probably about 34. You'll talk, you'll see right there how, the God, how God is going to establish the new covenant with, with Israel. And so... Just in case you're wondering, is God done with Israel? No, you read Romans 11, you read scriptures like this, you read the book of Hosea, and they are actually a testimony of how God can bring his people back to him. It says in verse 9, their descendants shall be known among the Gentiles and their offspring among the people. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are the posterity whom the Lord has blessed. And so during the millennial kingdom, all nations are going to be blessed, but we will see it with our own eyes, especially Israel. And so verses 1 through 9 is, uh, is uh, you know, this whole thing about God speaking 
verses 10 through 11, Isaiah closes the chapter. And this is what Isaiah says. He says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its bud and as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. And I love that that verse right there, verse 10, just talking about the the joy that that you know that's our future that we will experience that that we will be clothed in the righteousness of Christ that we will be decked out in his ornaments that he you know clothes us with and basically what we're going to see the transformation is from the perpetual funeral procession to an endless wedding celebration it's all planned and there in verse 11 it says it's all planted. And so it's already there, you guys. The seed, in one sense, has already been planted. It's just a matter of time before uh, we're going to reap in that harvest. And so, you know, I know life is tough. Don't get me, get me wrong. I understand that. But if you, if you find yourself down in the dumps, man, my encouragement to you is to know that your future is in God's hands. And your future is good. So you go home tonight and you speak it. You pray and you mention that to God. God, I believe in you. I I read it in your word. And so today I'm going to stand on that. And there's just something about you articulating that. That, you know what, blesses his heart. You know, because I care about you guys, man. I know that life gets crazy. I know that life gets us down. And I don't know if we realize how simple it is to be able to express our faith in God and see Him work in a powerful way in our life. The Bible says in Psalm 126, verse 5, Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy.